Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. One oh seven five the game. Also heard on the Grand Strand at one hundred point three the game and in the PD at one hundred point five the game in Florence. And welcome into In the Bonus with Colin Taylor. I'm Tyler Head here on your Reaction Monday, here on the game. You know, Colin, there's often a cliche that gets used in the world of sports journalism that I specifically remember my professors telling me not to use when talking or writing about a game, and that is, it was a tale of two halves, but I can't think of a more apt description for what we saw on Saturday between Carolina and Georgia than a tale of two halves because that's exactly what we got. In, like, the starkest of stark differences, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. I did I, Two that, different games. Completely two different games. South Carolina, I won't start the show with all of my advanced metric <laughs> numbers and throwing out success rate. We got, we got four hours. We got, yeah, plenty, of time. We got t- plenty of time to fill today and all this stuff. But, um, yes, the numbers in the first half, South Carolina averaged like seven yards a play in the first half and then in four in the second. Um, and it was almost essentially flipped for Georgia. I think it was like four and a half in the first half and mm-hmm. seven in the second. So, yes, plenty of positives I think I think I think South Carolina showed growth is being made. It's hard it's so hard to judge 
when you're talking about playing a Georgia team that is what it is. And while I don't know if they're they're not the dominant Georgia that we've seen, at least right now, yeah, dominant Georgia that we've seen the last two seasons just because they got so many new pieces. But, I mean, you're talking about a team that, as I scroll through, has a blue chip ratio of a lot. <laughs> uh, and I think South Carolina, yeah, Georgia's blue chip ratio is at 77%. Mm-hmm. South Carolina's is, I believe, just over 30, 35. Um, so it's hard to judge, but I think you saw enough progress there to feel better about this stretch coming up. Absolutely, and and I hate to be silver linings guy, moral victory guy, and yeah. I talked about this last week. I didn't want to be that coming into this game, and certainly nobody within the South Carolina football program is trying to be that. But again, and I predict this as, as well as many other people, especially nationally, this should have been a blowout on paper. South Carolina, the, the line was at 27 for a reason. South Carolina should have gotten beaten pretty handily when you consider everything that we've seen through these first two weeks from South Carolina, especially when it comes to the line of scrimmage. And they hung in there and only lost to the back-to-back national champion, current number one team, by 10 points. And, and again, you hate to go moral victory, but it's like, well, it's better than we thought it was going to be. Yeah, and I don't think there's any moral victory to it. You know, you lost an 11-point halftime lead. Yes, it's the two-time reigning national champions, back-to-back. Or no, they won the SEC last season. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been in the college football playoff, what? <laughs> Does anybody care about the SEC championship anymore? Not anymore. Not anymore. Okay. They will when the expanded playoff comes, That's I true. think. Um, but you you, know, you talk about, <clears throat> uh, what, four of the last five or three of the last four college football playoffs, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Um, this is... <clears throat> Kirby has elevated this Georgia program to the preemptive power in the sport. Because um, <laughs> sure as heck ain't Alabama right now. Um, <clears throat> but I and I'm not. A, this is not moral victory. This is not man. Like this is not. Congrats, champ. You you only lost by ten at Georgia. No, sure. But what I think it shows is that South Carolina and, and I agree with Shane Beamer. You belonged on the field with them to a level that you had not in the previous two seasons. You belonged on the field with them. Yeah, it didn't look like there was this gigantic gap between you and them that, again, when you go back to last season, I mean, Georgia came out of the gate fast, you know, jumped on South Carolina. I don't even remember what the score at halftime was, but it was pretty much over by then. Cruises to the 48-7 victory, and, and again, there wasn't much to take away from that game, it felt like kind of being on the opposite end of what, you know, South Carolina did to Furman a week ago outside of, you know, being a little bit close at halftime there. But, you know, again, you go into Saturday, the definite underdog, and, you know, nobody's going to bat an eye if you lose this game 42 to 10, and you're leading at halftime. And suddenly people are looking like, hey, what's what's going on now? Now it's more people talking about, at least from a national perspective, like, hey, what's wrong with Georgia as opposed to, hey, South Carolina's playing really good, but that's what happened on Saturday. And you mentioned Spence Rattler, 16 of 18 in the first half, like I believe it was 152 yards. Like he was close to perfect once again in that first half. Yeah, he was awesome. And those numbers got wonky late because they were having to throw the ball a ton and he was under a ton of pressure. And he was pressured on almost as many dropbacks Mm -hmm. as he was kept clean, 27 to 24. I think that was more Georgia than anything else. Sure. If I'm not mistaken. I mean, just... Wh- which we knew the pressure was going to be there. Right. Um, but, again, you you looked like you belonged. The last time you went to Georgia, the last time you went there, 
it was an eight-point deficit at the end of the first quarter and a 20-point deficit at the end of the half. And you were up 7-3, 14-3 mm-hmm. at the end of those moments. Do you know what the last two combined scores against Georgia have been? The last two combined scores that uh, I looked up last week. I want to say, is it like is it 93 to like 20 something? 88 to 20. 88 to 20. 88 to 20. And you were able to, this is not me saying, man, hang your hat on a 10-point loss, guys. Congratulations. Like, hang the banners, pop the, the champagne, have the confetti. No. But what I'm saying is this loss indicated progress. This loss indicated that while it's not there yet, and you still have a lot of pieces that you need to take you from being a good program to being a great program, you've taken the the right and necessary steps in a few areas to make you competitive against the upper echelon, which, in fairness, outside of Tennessee and Clemson, you just you hadn't been sure. under Shane Beamer. Have uh, uh, you been doing this for a long time, covering this team? You ever experienced a roller coaster of a three weeks like this to start a season where you go from wow, we're terrible in week number one, we might not win five games and go to a bowl, to, all right, week number two, you did what you need to do against Furman team, you feel decent about it coming away, but again, it's an FCS team, to, wow, we actually kind of hung in there with the best team in the country, at least according to the AP poll, and it's like, all right, now we feel pretty confident going forward. Allow me to introduce you to the 2019 South Carolina football Okay, please, please do. Opening up, 330, ironically enough, Against North, against Carolina. North Carolina. I remember Bank that game. America Stadium. Yep. Sam Howell's first start. Mac mm-hmm. Brown's first game. You lose 24-20. Mm-hmm. And don't look particularly great in it. You blow a late lead. North Carolina, there were a couple questionable coaching decisions. All of that. Then you come back. You'll kick the ever-loving you-know-what out of Charleston Southern. A, a, like a bad FCS team. Not yeah. firm. Like a bad FCS team. Then you're in it with Alabama. It was a 47-23 game, but I think that one kind of, they pulled away late kind of thing. Keep in mind, Jake Bentley's hurt. Ryan Holinsky is starting. That's right. Ryan Holinsky's first SEC start is against Alabama, where he goes, as I look up the score. Yeah, it was South Carolina scores 10 in the fourth quarter to make it interesting. Mm-hmm. And kind of push and whatnot. Ryan Holinsky... By the way, Tua, 28 of 36 for 444 yards and five touchdowns in that game. He did that about every week, it seemed like. Yeah, that was an insane Alabama. Did Alabama, that was the year they won it. That was the Tua. No, that was 19. That was LSU's year. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that was one of the more insane Alabama teams that didn't win a title. Brian Robinson, <laughs> Najee Harris, Tua, Jalen Waddle, Slade Bolden, shout out. Mac Jones uh, threw a pass in that game. Devonta Smith, Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy. Uh, all pretty much all those guys are in the NFL right now. Besides well. one. Besides, Besides one. one. Yeah. yeah. Um, Slade Bolden in the NFL? Probably. Uh, Xavier McKinney, Shane Lee, Patrick Sertain, uh, Raekwon Davis, Malachi Benton, Trayvon Diggs. How did this team, Jordan Battle against Slade Bolden, um, Jalen Moody, Darnell, or Daniel Wright? Yeah. You're asking, you're asking how that team didn't win a national championship because LSU was even better. Yes, that's the insane part. Um, a lot of remembering dudes on this Monday morning. Oh, absolutely. But yeah, so they, Helensky goes 36 of 57. You made the freshman throw 57 times in that game. For 324 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception in his first SEC start. 
Uh, they come back and they have, they promptly lose to Missouri on the road, beat Kentucky, beat Georgia, yep, and then win one of your final six games against Vanderbilt. You lose you lose a close, close, close game to Florida. You get run out of the building against Tennessee. You blow a second half lead, beat Vanderbilt, lose to App State where the offense really can't do anything. Um, everyone's kind of hurt. Helensky's hurt. Carryon's yeah. hurt. Everyone's hurt. You get blown out of the water at A and M. You get blown out of the water against Clemson, and then, well, the tide is turning at that point, going uh, into twenty twenty. Hopefully, the trajectory of this season does not follow that one. You've seen, <laughs> I, you have seen better improvement this year than you absolutely. Have. I, I that I will say, and you have a more proven quarterback. No offense to Ryan Helensky, a guy that has been there, done that. You're not. Trotting out there, a true freshman right now. Quickly, I'll ask this, and obviously we're going to continue to react to this game all day long. We when, have four hours to kill. When, when when Rattler announced that he was coming here, because, again, I was not ingrained with the South Carolina program at the time. I remember when he announced he was coming to South Carolina, I'm like, oh, this, you know, South Carolina's probably pretty excited about that. Considering the revolving door of quarterbacks over the past four to five years before that, like how stoked was everybody here when he oh, made that announcement? It was insane. Um it was truly one of those situations where you're like, we've arrived. Yeah. Cause you like well, you were, you were in the midst of it. Six and you just won two of your final four to go six and six. Sure. Um, beat Florida, yeah. beat Auburn. You're going to a bowl game in year one. Like, I, I think the perfect microcosm of how insane the quarterback situation for South Carolina had been prior to Spencer Rattler getting here. And I remember this, the 2020 South Carolina, Georgia game, Zeb Noland, starting yes uh and it's like oh this guy was a uh, an assistant like last week and now he's the starting quarterback do oh you, do you know the last time south carolina had a quarterback drafted oh drafted drafted, drafted. not because connor shaw connor kicked shaw. around in the nfl sure dylan thompson kicked around in the nfl drafted. but dra- i've drafted i can't even think of who that would be according to Pro Football Reference, 1990. Oh, God. Was that Todd Ellis? Ellis? Todd, before that, it was 1961. Wow. Or no, 1976, Jeff Grants. Sorry. Okay. Well, then before that, it was 61. Then before that, it was 39. Wow. Does Spencer Rattler become the highest drafted South Carolina quarterback ever? Uh, well, it depends who's the, out of those who's the highest drafted. Todd Ellis or Larry Craig in. 1939, sixth round, number 45, 49 overall. Okay. I, if Spencer Rattler continues to play the way that he's playing, I think he has a very good shot at being the highest he, drafted South Carolina quarterback. He might be the highest drafted SEC quarterback of this season. Very good chance. He is. He's playing on another level right now. He's. I'll say Jaden Daniels is definitely still holding the title of best SEC quarterback right now, but Spencer Rattler is at least worth having a conversation about. I think that is incredibly... I think that when you talk about best quarterbacks in the SEC, you can't have that conversation right now without Spencer Rattler in that mix. No, absolutely. And Rattler was one of the high points from Saturday, as well as a couple other areas. We will touch on that coming up as we continue to react to South Carolina just falling short of the number one Georgia Bulldogs on Saturday, 24-14. to You're listening to In the Bonus. He is Colin Taylor. I'm Tyler Head here on The Game.
It's Reaction Monday. Sponsored by Carolina Honda Powerhouse. CarolinaHonda.com. Your home of the Gamecocks in the Midlands. 107.5 The Game. Also heard on the Grand Strand at 100.3 The Game. And in the PD at 100.5 The Game in Florence. Out of the shotgun. Pump fake. Wide receiver screen. Juice right side. Got a cut at the 10. He's on his feet. The 5. And Not <laughs> Touchdown, Carolina. <laughs> Touchdown, Juice Wells from 17 <laughs> yards out. And Sanford Stadium goes quiet. Welcome back into In the Bonus. Ooh. He is Colin Taylor. I am Tyler Head. I make sure my microphone Ooh. was on there. Monday morning. It's Ooh. okay. Ooh. <laughs> Anyways, that was, uh, of course, Todd Ellis on the call on Saturday as South Carolina jumped out to the early 7 to nothing lead. Spencer Rattler to Juice Wells on what seemed like a pretty conservative call on third down there. Like, all right, we're not going to, you know, do anything too dangerous here. If nothing else, we're going to maybe kick a field goal. And, man, Juice Wells able to weave his way through traffic and get it in the end zone. Unfortunately, that would be the end of the day for Juice Wells, but a great start to the game for South Carolina and uh, had the momentum in their favor very early on. Unfortunately, that is what Juice gives you that you do not have out there without anyone else. Yeah. Does anyone else make that play on Saturday? I highly doubt it. That's That was the issue, is that congratulations, Juice Wells makes that great play for you, but he goes out immediately after that and is going to be out for a while. I don't know what that looks like. Beamer, I believe, on the broadcast said they think it's a broken bone or yeah, or something like and, that. And now we're, we're getting more information on things that we had heard about during camp during the preseason about what was going on with Juice Wells and why he was limited, why he hasn't been playing as much in these first couple of games. And Beamer basically confirmed now that he did have a broken bone in his foot, did have surgery on it. Wasn't, you know, something that was expected to keep him out too long. They've obviously kind of had him on a bit of pitch count these first couple of weeks. But, yeah, re-aggravated that on Saturday. I think uh, looking on the replay as he was running in, because he bounced off a couple of different guys, I think somebody's helmet caught him on the foot. Okay. I think that may be what did it. And it's it's not funny to look at, but, you know, you always hear about adrenaline can kind of like That's what I was, overpower I, pain. We were even talking about that on the way home. Yeah, because he runs into the end zone crisp and, and feeling good. And, you know, a couple seconds after everybody's coming up and congratulating him, they start celebrating. That's when he starts to feel it like, oh, this, this ain't hurts. right. Yeah, yeah, this ain't right. Um, that's... People don't realize that sometimes, but yeah, like the you you get the high of being on the field, the the scoring, the crowd going nuts. You hear, and that was right into South Carolina's like fan section as yep. well. Like you're going ballistic, and then all of a sudden you get back over to the sideline, or that dies down as you walk back over, and you're like, oh no 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 no, things ain't yeah, things ain't good. This ain't right. Um, that, so, and that's the problem. I do want to bring this up before we do. You know how many missed tackles? South Carolina's receivers forced against Georgia. Uh, I can't tell the number off the top of my head. It was, it was a decent amount. Three. Three? Three. That was it? Three. Huh. Juice Wells had two on of that. them. Juice Wells had two of them. Okay. Trey Knox was the only one to force a missed tackle. Wow. Yeah. Man. That's... It's, it's an issue. We will... We will discuss that more in the afternoon hours, but that's, I think, one of the biggest issues right now with South Carolina from an efficiency standpoint. Yeah, and and look, Georgia obviously plays very tight coverage, and they have a great secondary that, you know, South Carolina was taking advantage of in that first half, certainly. 
Um, but again, they certainly clamped down in the second half. And yeah, when you're missing a guy like Juice, and we talked about this coming into the game last week where obviously Xavier Leggett has emerged as yeah. a he was, great he looked receiver really good again too. through these first now three games of the season. Again, did look really good on Saturday. But man, you just if you have that other option on the other side that pulls a lot of attention away from Xavier Leggett, or if they decide to key on an X, then that pulls attention away from Juice. Like you, ha- that way you have viable threats on both sides. And that's no disrespect to Omega Blake or anybody else that's out there catching passes. They're they're fine, but you know Juice Wells and Xavier Leggett have certainly shown themselves to be at that next level, and you'd love to have them both on the field at the same time. Yeah, that, and and that's the problem is that. You you spent all of this time in the offseason talking about how great this skill room is, and it is, but that's with Juice Healthy. Mm-hmm. That's with Omega Blake playing at a high level. That's with Trey Knox and Josh Simon playing at a high level. That's with your running backs playing at a, a good level. And you just you haven't had all of that together, which makes what they're doing that much more impressive. Yeah. But you just you haven't had a full stable, and now with Juice going down for whatever that time is, we should know more Tuesday after he meets with the the specialist. Um, it's just, it's frustrating because you're not going to have that full stable for a while. And even right. Dowell Loggins last week was like, yes, what Xavier's doing is awesome, but let's not forget resume. And Juice Wells had the resume and, and mm-hmm. now you just don't get to see it as much. Absolutely. So again, Spencer Rattler, uh, nearly a perfect first half. Definitely uh, kind of the tail of two halves in the second. But when you get to the point where you just have to throw the ball, again, you become one-dimensional. It's easier to key on on things, and they really started getting to Spencer Rattler in that second half. They you know, give credit where it's due. South Carolina did only force three sacks, but Spencer Rattler was also pressured into a couple of ill-advised throws. The first time we've seen him really do that this season, which is something that, look, we, we know it's going to happen. It's part of playing quarterback, you're to put some throws in some bad situations, and when you're down and you know you don't have a running game as an option, you know, those kind of things do happen, unfortunately. Yeah, the first one he got rocked. Like, he got rocked as he threw. I think that was a kind of under threw the ball. No receiver came back for it, and then mm. it turns into a pick. And then I was writing for the other one. All I saw was the play on the sideline, so I didn't get to see a ton mm. of it. But, yes, you only got sacked three times. Rattler was under pressure on 24 dropbacks. And I think on that last one, I don't think he ever saw Dan Jackson because he was essentially playing center field and just and, came up and grabbed it. And Spencer just chucked it. Um, Spencer's adjusted. So his completion percentage was 22 of 41 or something like that. Mm-hmm. His adjusted completion percentage when you take into drops and you take into everything was 62.2%, mm. which is fine, yeah, which that's, is good. That's, that's solid. Um, but... It's just he didn't have enough time. Um, pressured, kept clean on 27 dropbacks, mm-hmm. pressured on 24. And that give credit a lot of that to Georgia. They were dialing up some exotic blitzes. They were uh, moving right before the snap. They'd kind of anticipated some of the snap stuff. Which that's it's kind of a signature of theirs now. Yes, that's a Will Muschamp signature. Um, and it confused South Carolina to some level and it's why that maybe some of the miscommunication happened but I think you saw enough from that offensive line to feel solid about where it is moving forward not Uh, great but solid quickly you mentioned Will Muschamp there and it's funny because we were hosting the um the watch party at O'Hara's on Saturday and it was really funny the reaction people had every time they saw well, Muschamp pop up on the screen, like behind Kirby on the sideline or something. Just audible groans. Pretty much. I assume. Yeah, that seems about right. 
Because I, I don't know why it is, but he's always like the assistant coach. I feel like you see yeah, the he's most because he's always like right behind Kirby. The OC's in the in the press box. You really never see the OC until you point the camera at him. But the DC's always right behind the, and especially Kirby, DC's always right behind him. So right. it's it's pretty funny. Yeah. So uh, it was funny seeing the reactions of people. I'm like, well, there's still still clearly no love lost here between these. Folks. Oh no 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 no. Trust me, there is none. So. Um, but that's funny. Uh, it, it was a good time at, on Saturday at O'Hara's, by the way. I certainly yeah. enjoyed hanging out with some of the people there. Got to meet some listeners, but uh, there you you go. Know, and unfortunately didn't, didn't turn out the way that Carolina wanted it to. There'll be others. I think, again, I think you saw progress this weekend. For sure. And, and progress in, in a lot of areas that you know gives you optimism going forward. And we'll continue to talk about some of those areas and, and what we liked and what we didn't like from Saturday. Coming up as you're listening to In the Bonus, he is Colin Taylor. I'm Tyler. The carry-on comes over. He gets in the Wildcat straight up the middle. Pushing forward at the goal touchdown, line. Touchdown, touchdown Carolina. Ho-ho! Touchdown to carry-on joiner. Go Cox. Out of the shotgun. He took the direct snap. His Spencer Rattler went in motion left side from two yards out. And a stunned Sanford Stadium is about to see the Gamecocks go up 14-3 to with the extra point. With one minute. Welcome back in. And in the bonus, he is Colin Taylor. I'm Tyler Head here on a reaction Monday here on the game. That was the second touchdown of the game for the Gamecocks. Carry on joiner scooting in uh, from a short yardage situation to put them up 14-3. to Unfortunately, that was their last score of the game. And unfortunately, that was one of the few highlights as far as the running game went for South Carolina on Saturday, uh, combined total of 53 rushing yards. Once again, Spencer Rattler leading the way with 35, and of course, some of that has to do with sack yardage as well. You know, for as much as this offensive line had improved as far as keeping Spencer Rattler upright, the the running game is still a struggle. Yeah, and South Carolina didn't run it a ton. I think they knew they weren't going to be able to run between the tackles against sure. this Georgia team, and which is why you didn't see a lot of it. Mm-hmm. It was more efficient than maybe I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Granted, small, incredibly small sample size. They averaged more sack-adjusted yards per carry than Georgia did. They had three of their 13 rushes, according to Game on Paper, go for uh, zero yards or fewer. Only three of their 13, so 23%. Georgia was at 5 of 41, 12%. Now here's the the where rubber meets road. Six of their thirteen rushes were stopped runs, which is gaining two yards or fewer. So forty six percent of your rushes, and the rest seven were opportunity runs, which is yards gaining more than four yards or four yards or more. Fifty four percent. When half of your runs are going for two or fewer yards. It's not great. Well, you're behind the line, the chains at that point. And it's odd. So here's here's the interesting one. Georgia had 21 of their 41 rushes. 51% go for at least four yards. Yeah. Here is the interesting part, though. So game on paper does a offensive line yards per carry. How many yards of push? Mm-hmm. Are you getting from your offensive line per carry? What's the play going for? Okay. Georgia was at 1.88. Mm-hmm. South Carolina was at 
0.83. So you're talking about the initial push that yes. the uh, that the line is getting off yes. the snap is what you're saying. Yes. Okay. So Georgia was only five hundredths of a yard better than South Carolina's offensive line when it comes to run blocking. Interesting. So what does that tell us? Tyler, take your guess first. What does that tell us? So you're saying that South Carolina got the same push off the ball that Georgia did? Roughly, yeah. Um, Per game on paper. Imagine, I mean, the second level's having more of an impact getting into the backfield for Georgia as opposed to Carolina? Yes. Now, Stoneblade, like, there were 17 missed tackles from South Carolina in that game. Mm Mm-hmm. I uh, believe the linebackers combined for four or five of those. Missed tackles forced. South Carolina's running backs, five. Georgia's running backs, 11. Yeah, that'll do it. When your running backs are making more plays and making dudes miss in a phone booth, you tend to have more of those opportunities. <laughs> At some point, the running back just has to make a guy miss. Sure. And South Carolina is not doing enough of that now how many of those five do you think were by running backs the to, that the total of the five yes the of the five force the South tackles force missed tackles how many do you think were by running backs um well didn't we say three from from receivers so that make three total from receivers yes. two from running backs well so receivers had three backs had five okay total. i thought we were talking the, about the, the whole game. number no, 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 okay no. So you're talking about running backs within that five. Okay. Yes. Um, two? Three. Three. Spencer Rattler had two missed for, forced missed tackles okay. in the run game. Takarian Joyner had two. Mario Anderson had one. So your backs are not creating mm-hmm. enough plays on the out, plays up the middle to make a guy miss in the phone booth to get a few extra yards. Georgia had four players force at least one missed tackle in the run game. Dejon Edwards, am I saying that correctly? That's that correct. Dejon Edwards. Like the mustard. Six. Kendall Milton, three. Dylan Bell, one. And then Brock Bowers, one in the running game. Okay. And receiving is the same story. Um, South Carolina's receivers forced three missed tackles. And Georgia's, as I scroll over, forced... Again, I was on South Carolina's. Uh, Georgia's forced five. Okay. So comparable there, but when South Carolina, but when your screen game is so mm-hmm. important to your run game, mm-hmm. you're going to have to force some missed tackles on the perimeter or block Fair. better on the perimeter. South Carolina didn't do, didn't do a good enough job of that compared you, to Georgia. You mentioned the guys that had rushes on Saturday, one of them being Mario Anderson, who had two carries for nine yards, one of them going for seven yards. I think we kind of knew that Mario Anderson was kind of that bowling ball, downhill running type. The fact that the run blocking is not where it necessarily needs to be, and it's something you struggled with, could we see maybe him getting more of a nod going forward as opposed to a Juju McDowell because of his running style and the physicality he can present to potentially get you a couple extra yards when maybe other guys wouldn't be able to do that? I think so. I think he gets you more of those bully yards, and you saw it on that seven-yard yeah, rush. He kept them legs, legs churning. Like, he's low center gravity. Beamer's talked about that. Like he, he gained you some bully yards when you needed it on that opening drive. Yes, I, I was shocked we didn't see a little bit more of him. But when it turned into a, a passing game, DeCarrion's a better pass protector right now. Mm-hmm. I feel like 
uh, and even based on like the PFF grades that came along with it. But I do think when you're in a more of a run game game, that Mario Anderson has a chance to really help you. Yeah, and I wasn't shocked to see them try running early, you know, with scripted plays and stuff, which is kind of what we expected talking about it going into the game last week. But again, when you kind of figured out pretty quickly that, all right, it's going to be the same song and dance we've been doing the last two weeks. It's like, all right, Spencer, ball's in your hand. Just keep throwing it. Now they did, you know, get creative with the screens and stuff like that that we've seen them do through these first couple of games. But that's such a big concern going forward that you are so one-dimensional on offense. And unless something drastic changes between now and then, I don't... I don't know how much better this running the running blocking is going to get. No. Um, DeCario and Joyner, 10 yards, 12 after contact. Mario Anderson, 9 yards. This is per PFF. 10 yards, 12 after contact. Mario Anderson, 9, 8 after contact. That's a huge, I mean, that is a huge jump. 8 after contact with Mario yeah, Anderson. Definitely. Xavier Leggett, minus 1 yards, 5 after contact. Yikes. It's just not an efficient run game. And when you're having, it, it, it's twofold. The backs have to make people miss, but the offensive line has to consistently give you the, the block for the yards that the play is designed to go. And sure. when you do those things together, you have a chance. You don't need to be this elite rushing team. You just need to do enough to, to open up that passing game. Yeah, definitely so. Uh, one thing that is new on the offensive line, though, and something that we Ooh. were anticipating to see on Saturday was a couple of freshmen getting plugged in there with Shree Babalade and Trovon Ball, and, and Shree Babalade specifically coming in right from the get-go to start the game. Talk a little bit about his performance and what that means going forward for South Carolina and their offensive line. Hopefully it can make some improvements going forward, but we will hit that and uh, how they graded out on Saturday against a very good defensive front in Georgia. Coming up, you are listening to In the Bonus on this Reaction Monday. He is Colin Taylor. I am Tyler Head as we break down everything that happened between Carolina and Georgia. 24-14 victory for the Dogs here on In the Bonus. It's Reaction Monday. Sponsored by Carolina Honda Powerhouse. CarolinaHonda.com. Your home of the Gamecocks in the Midlands. 107.5 The Game. Also heard on the Grand Strand at 100.3 The Game. And in the PD at 100.5 The Game in Florence. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. You know, all of it. Losing juice obviously wasn't ideal, but you saw some other young receivers come in, and we got to continue to get those guys going. Nick Harbor, Tyshawn Russell, all of our young receivers. Um, you know, offensive line, they <clears throat> protected well and uh, gave us an opportunity also. I mean, not good enough, don't get me wrong, but I think feel like we've made strides from an offensive line standpoint. I mean, I look around everywhere, and I just feel like we're a better team than what we were two weeks ago. And, again, we're not patting ourselves on the back and, and – uh, excited about the way the gate the day went today but also know that we've made strides as a team and are going to continue to get better welcome back in in the bonus he's colin taylor i'm tyler head on this reaction monday that of course was coach beamer after the game on saturday talking about player development and development as a team one area that we currently see a lot of development going on is in regards to the offensive line and on saturday true freshman tree bob Lade did get the start at left tackle i do think it's funny is again, Terry and I are watching this game at O'Hara's in uh, in Lexington. CBS definitely just takes whatever depth chart the team puts out 
during the week and plugs that in as their starting lineup because Terry and I are watching the game, and I just mentioned to him a moment before, I was like, well, you know, Kloniger had tweeted that Amirian Brown did not travel with the team to Athens, but he was still in the starting lineup. And they also still had, like, Fugar starting at left tackle in the starting lineup and Wanamaker at right tackle in the starting lineup. And after about two plays, we're like, hey, no, 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 no. Babalade's out there. I think that starting lineup was wrong. Well, even, like, Beamer said it on the, I guess, his pregame radio hit Uh that he does. Like yeah, Tree's gonna start at left tackle, and then you're well. He's and he said last week too that Jakai was gonna start at right tackle, uh-huh. and that didn't didn't end up happening. So you hear Tree starting at left tackle, and the big indicator is always what's the first team look like in pregame reps when they do their shell offense, their shell defense. What is what does that look like? Sure. And you're looking, and you're like, Fugger's repping at right tackle, yeah. and you look at it again, you're like. Oh, trees at left. Yeah, like this wasn't just a, a smokescreen thing. Like, no, no, no. Like they're they're throwing him to the wolves. And yeah. Good on you, man, because he held more than his own. I mean, you know, it's kind of the baptism by fire thing. It's like, all right, if you can hold up against one of the best defensive line units in the entire country, you should be okay against everybody else. And like you said, based on his pro football focus grades, he actually did a pretty good job on Saturday. Is a 90 overall pass blocking grade with one pressure allowed and 53 pass blocking snaps good against the number one team in the country? Considering the bulk of what you were doing was throwing the ball, I would say yes. Yeah, I think that that's uh, pretty good. Here's the pressures per PFF. Tree Babalade, 53 pass blocking snaps, one one pressure, and it was a hurry. Nick Arzula, 53 pass blocking snaps. Um, 53 pass blocking snaps. Two pressures, one hurry, one sack. Uh, Vershawn Lee, 53 pass blocking snaps. Six pressures, three hurries, two hits, one sack. Uh, Sidney Fugar, five pressures on 52 pass blocking snaps. Five hurries, no sacks, no hits on the quarterback. Ja'Kai Moore, two pressures in 44. Trevon Ball did not allow a pressure in nine pass blocking snaps. feel like you're going to see him a little bit more as well. Um, no... Everyone else allowed at least two pressures besides Tree Babalade on that starting offensive line. Uh, let me ask, because I couldn't tell, what point did Tra- Travon Ball come in the game? He came in late in the first half. Okay. He was on a couple of those drives. He was on the touchdown drive Okay, late, and then I believe he was in there for one more. Because I think he got 12 total snaps on Saturday. Is that As right? I am looking. Which Travon is roughly, roughly a, close to a quarter of the snaps they had on Saturday, I think. Yeah, they didn't play a ton of snaps, which is kind of odd. Thanks, clock rules. To me. (laughs) Yeah, the clock did that to them. (laughs) The clock wasn't stopped. Yeah, 12 snaps, 3 run blocking, and 9 pass blocking. Okay. So, I mean, again, good experience. Um, And Shane Beamer did even come out and say, like, I needed to play him more. That's on me. Definitely so. Um, Yeah, again, you're trying to... uh, nail down what it's going to look like, especially now that you're getting into the thick of SEC play. It's like, okay, we need to figure out who these five are and just let them play together as much as we can because, again, you've had this revolving door and moving guys around through these first three weeks, which, again, you have to do to figure out what your best combination is, but, you know, this can't continue to be this way this entire season. No, at some point you just have to say we're not getting enough production from – and it's no disrespect to Cindy Fugger. He's he's struggled. Sure. I don't think that that's a. But, but again, we we knew he was more he wasn't of a going to yeah. be a plug in and play right away kind of guy. Right. They brought him in and knowing, hey, that he has a chance to develop into a really good player, but still needs to get there. 
you would hope Jalen Nichols, you would hope Kaysen Henry, you would hope um, someone would be ready to go, and both of those guys obviously get banged up. Yes. I think when you talk about this offensive line, you got two games in a bye week. That's three weeks. Plug Travon Ball in and start him. See what you got. And if it doesn't work, then you go back to what it was. But I don't see the downside right now in starting a guy like Ball who has proven he can hold up right. against some of this stuff. Uh, quickly, before we wrap up here, coming up next, it is the Garnet Trust Hour. Marcellus Dial going to be hanging out with us from 10 until 11. If you come on the Garnet Trust Hour, you ball out in the next game. Shout out to TJ Sanders, who was on with us last Monday. He started out with his hair on fire on Saturday, playing here, there, and everywhere. Ends the game with nine total tackles, eight solo, one sack, two tackles for loss, and one pass deflection. But he was a force especially in that first half for South Carolina. Allow me, so I think it was, what, nine tackles, one and a half for loss, mm-hmm. a sack, yep. a tipped ball. Here is who he was going against. Left guard, Xavier Truss, four-star 208 in this class. Mm-hmm. Cedric Van Pran, that center, uh, four-star top 100 player in his class. Might be the best center in the country. Yes, Tate Ratledge might be the best guard in the country. Uh Sit um six six three ten four star top fifty recruit. Everyone's like that. TJ Sanders was a three star recruit, a seven hundred oh oh seven oh six overall. He looked like an NFL player on Saturday, like a true SEC, like defensive tackle, athletic, mobile, can get past guys. They had no answer for him, and he he's at least ten pounds. He weighs 10 pounds less than most of those guys, 6'5", 298. I mean, right. that's a dude that you got something there with him, which gives you some flexibility if you want to move Tonka outside. Sure. And you feel really good about TJ stepping up and being your starting defensive tackle. The problem then becomes the depth behind them. Yeah. And that's a concern moving forward. And when you look at Georgia in that second half, especially how they were able to run the ball – that's where you saw the deficiencies when it came to that depth for South Carolina. They're just tired. Yeah. They're getting run over. And, getting leaned on. Yeah, exactly. Because And while, yes, there are less snaps in the game now because the clock is that running a whole lot clock. faster. Still, when you don't have the ability to rotate three and four deep at every position like Georgia does, that's going to catch up with you. I mean, looking at the snap count from Saturday, Pup Howard got in there for a couple, but Tebow Williams was still in the field every single snaps. defensive snap. Like, that's great. He's football guy through and through, and, like, I believe he's, you know, going to go out there and give it 110% on every single play, but that fatigue is going to wear get wear on him at some point, and that's when you start missing tackles. That's when you start having bad reads. Like, you just you try to avoid that if you can. Right. It's in a one-game sample size, yeah, dude can play 80 plays. Cool. But over a three-game sample size, can you play 240? Over a four-game, can he play three-six? Like, it, that really starts to add up, and, and it's not a sustainable model when you're playing on that front seven. 80 snaps for Debo Williams. Um, Jordan Strong at 56, Tonka 49, Boogie 48. TJ Sanders had 61. You right. got to figure that out and get some depth behind those guys because that's a concern. Definitely so. We'll have three more hours to talk about this coming up from noon until 3. Like I said, coming up next for today's edition of the Garnet Trust Hour, Fresh off the field on Saturday, it is Marcellus Dial 
hanging out with us until 11 o'clock on this Reaction Monday right here on The Game. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older in present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Fanduel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text HOPE NY in New York.